You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to build your network, thrive in entrepreneurship, and leverage your skill sets to make more money with Stephanie O'Connell. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Before we hop into the episode, let me tell you about today's sponsor of the podcast, Empower. I know how much work it is to juggle career, family, and money management. Look, I get it. As a full-time entrepreneur with three small kids, a husband, and me trying to keep up my friendships, working out, and staying healthy, your girl is tired. Plus, let's not even add on the craziness of the financial markets right now. Hashtag tired and over it. Empower is an awesome app that gives you back your valuable time by making money management and saving the easiest thing you do all day while allowing you to take more control over your financial future. For starters, Empower has an automated savings feature. I simply tell the app my weekly savings target and every day Empower studies my income and spending and automatically knows when to move the right amount of money into my savings account where it grows with unlimited withdrawals and no minimums. It's called autosave. Just set it and forget it. The app even tells me about upcoming payments that are due. So it's nice to have the app remind me because quite honestly, sometimes with my schedule, I forget. Yes, even me, Jamila, your chief launch officer, needs a reminder when a bill is due. I'm guessing you can use that kind of help too. Now, Empower has a nice human touch because let's face it, sometimes you need to talk to real living, breathing people for guidance. So just text Empower's human coaches who are on standby to share personalized recommendations and steer you through whatever financial questions that come up. If you want to save more than ever before, you got to check out Empower's app. Download Empower in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. And for listeners of this show, that's Journeyers, get $5 when you use the code Journey and reach your savings goal. Visit empower.me slash journey for more details. That's empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R dot M-E slash J-O-U-R-N-E-Y for more details. Stick around to the end of the episode. I'm going to be sharing some tips from today's sponsor, Empower, on how to get financial relief from the coronavirus outbreak. I am, as I always am, excited to sit down with you today and have you listen in on this conversation that I had with Stephanie O'Connell. So before we get into this conversation with Stephanie, this is episode 148. So Stephanie's going to mention a bunch of little things here and there that you should for sure check out. And I want to make sure that you get all that. So if you want to get the links to anything that Stephanie or I mentioned, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 148. Okay, first, a little more about Stephanie O'Connell. I met Stephanie at FinCon a couple years ago, and she's just always been an amazing person and resource for me to see that you can do this making money. And she's been open in sharing her journey. So that's what she's going to do today on the podcast. She is a nationally recognized millennial money expert and the author of the book, The Broke and Beautiful Life. She helps thousands of young professionals get more from their money so that they can go after the life they want. And she's been featured in numerous publications such as the Wall Street Journal, 
New York Times, USA Today, you name it. And she's a sought after speaker, consultant and media personality. In our conversation, you'll hear Stephanie talk about her transitioning, you know, not even transitioning. She's still an actress, but how she uses her skill sets as an actress to what she does now. The real behind the scenes journey of entrepreneurship, the ups and downs. Stephanie shares all of that. Plus, she talks about her amazing projects that she works on in addition to running her company, such as a statement event and statement cards. So I can't wait for you to hear all of it. So if you're listening to this, take a screenshot. I love seeing that you're listening. Share it on your social media. So I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Journey to Launch. Share it on your IG stories. Share it with a friend. Tag me, tag Stephanie if you really like are digging something that we both say so that we can see it. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers. I am really excited to speak to today's guest. Today's, you know, I'm going to start saying the guests like in the rocket chair. I don't know. I just came up with that, Stephanie. Don't mind me. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to share this conversation or to have this conversation in front of my journeyers today because I have on Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez on the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, thanks for having me in the rocket chair. I'm ready for this journey. (laughs) Get get ready to take off. So I've known you now for a couple years and I want to share that. I feel like you were, were one of the first people that I've actually like I met in real life that was in the personal finance space that was making a living doing this work. And I remember meeting you at FinCon the first year and you were telling me about all the amazing stuff you were doing and some of the contracts that you were like working through. I think at the time, like you were like waiting for a contract to come through with a company. And I was just looking at you like, oh, so this can be done. Right. <laughs> and you were so encouraging. And so I do want to talk a little bit about your background into personal finance and being a personal finance expert and entrepreneur, because for me, I know seeing you up close and you being so giving in your information and talking to me through stuff and giving me advice was really helpful, honestly, with my trajectory of journey to launch. So I wanted to kind of take it back to how you got into being into personal finance and having your own business. Cause you didn't start here, right? Like you, I don't want to say we're an actress. You still are an actress, but you started mm-hmm. in acting, right? Yeah, I worked in acting in in musical theater specifically for about seven years. That was my my full time gig, along with a lot of side hustles. So like I would go on tour for six months with a musical around the United States or around the world. And then I'd come home and like work at a restaurant and audition for the next thing. And then I'd go on tour again or I'd do another show. It was really wonderful in a lot of ways. That was always like my dream was to perform. But what really was hard about it was following this one passion of mine meant kind of giving up on so much else, whether it was time with my friends and family. Like I couldn't go to anybody's weddings. It was like, sorry, if I get a job, I'm out. 
I couldn't plan for any kind of personal expenses. So because I never knew when a contract was going to come, I had really, really uncertain income. And when I did have a contract, I had very low income. So even when I was performing at Madison Square Garden, the most I made was like 500 bucks a week. And living in New York City, that really doesn't cut it. So I was just, after a while, really burnt out by the cost of doing what I loved for a living. And the cost was like just this constant financial stress, this constant financial uncertainty. And I realized that a lot of the trade-offs I was making weren't sustainable for me long term. And so I really latched onto that money piece of it and the pain points I felt around my money because I had some other like things going on. Like I needed dental work, I needed health insurance, like, and I couldn't afford these kind of basic things with the lifestyle I was living. And I was like, okay, I got to figure this thing out. And so I got really into personal finance out of my own curiosity and my own desire to feel some source of control over my financial life rather than feeling like I was at the mercy of my money. And through that process of learning for myself, I started kind of chronicling my journey as you have done on your journey to financial independence and kind of sharing the lessons learned along the way. And what I found was like, this wasn't only really helpful for keeping myself accountable and for learning for myself, but it was like, whoa, it opened up an opportunity to a whole nother world of online writing and entrepreneurship and business that I never even knew about. And to your point about like, you were sitting next to me and I was talking about a contract I was closing. I had the same experience when I started blogging, when I started kind of chronicling my money journey, it opened up a door to like, basically be sitting next to other people on the internet and see that they actually made a living doing this. And I said, okay, well, how does that look for me to start inching closer to a life where money isn't just a stress because I know how to manage it. It's also not a stress because I'm earning more of it in ways that are more sustainable from acting. And so my initial launch point into the business in terms of earning was freelance writing, because while freelance writing isn't really business ownership, it's more like being a contract worker. It was just a really easy way for me to start earning some money in this new field while also learning more about it, building up my credibility, building up my connections and who I knew. And it was a way to get immediate, immediate cash flow. So that was really the turning point of me saying, okay, so in addition to working as an actor and at my restaurant job and everything else, let me start dipping my toe into this world through doing some freelance writing. And then it was kind of through the process of opening that door that as I met new people, as I went to more events, as I started getting more clients, oh, I saw that there was an opportunity to do a full pivot into this world. And I was learning more and more and my expertise were growing and growing as I got more and more into it. You can probably speak to this experience too. It's not like I knew that this is what I was going to do and I knew the whole pathway. No, like I just saw like one opportunity at a time. And as I kind of seized each one, a new door started to open. And I've been working on continuing to push those doors open throughout all of this time. So that's kind of the long winded origin story of my business. Yeah, but I love that. And I totally could relate, right? Like, so you document, right? You start to realize like, well, I'm having this experience. 
in life, like surely, like let me try to really document it and hold myself accountable and start sharing it. And what I love, because I think so many people can relate to this because ultimately you wanted to document, but you started to see that, hey, this can maybe become something where I can get supplement my income. You didn't foresee that it would turn into probably this full-fledged business that you have now. But that's the beauty of just allowing things to unfold like one step at a time. Like sometimes if you look at the end goal and want to get there, but you have no clue of the steps Mm -hmm. in between, it can be very overwhelming. But if you look at just the first step in front of you, it's pretty important. I do want to talk about exposure, right? Because you said it yourself that like for you, you had no idea this kind of world existed or that you could really make money from it. I felt the same way. Like I didn't even know personal finance really was a thing. Like, I, of course, I knew there were like people like Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey, but I didn't really understand that there were like micro or macro level now, like influencers or people talking about money in this way. And that opened up a new door. And so seeing someone like you in person, right, like at a FinCon and other people in the space making money changed a lot for me. So for you, do you remember what those first experiences or who those first people were for you that you said, oh, I can actually like make more than just in freelance writing. Like I can do this like as my business. Well, the first person I met in person, and I think this is such a big thing, like seeing people online and seeing their businesses online is really inspirational and and it kind of opens that initial door. But when you connect to people in person, it's life changing. I can't like overstate how different I think about things because of the people I met. And the first person I met was Erin Lowry, who runs a site called Broke Millennial and has a lot of great books. She's a a mutual friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because to this day, this is one of my very good friends and also oddly, like probably the most similar to me in terms of like brand and story and all kinds of things. And I know that could be a source of competition for people, but for us, it's been a really wonderful collaboration and system of support. And I think what connecting with her in real life, why it was so great wasn't that she was so far ahead of me in business, but that she and I just had an opportunity to kind of talk about all the stuff we were seeing online and all the things that were out there that we were seeing because we didn't really have a business yet. We were just kind of like starting out and say, wow, like, if this is what's possible, how can we serve as a support system to one another to get there? And like she and I have been through a really similar career progression. And I think as each of us have learned and had new experience and had wins, we share those with each other and that kind of helps us elevate. And then along the way, like that network of me knowing Aaron has now grown into the tens of people, like hundreds of people. And so I think it wasn't just that like I sat next to somebody who was a millionaire and like it was all knowledgeable. It was more like I met a peer who was actually very similarly at my same level, but I connected with them in a really meaningful way that's continued to support us and elevate us both throughout the process. And that's the way to do business. I could say this about our relationship too. It's like I'm really interested and invested in your success And I know you're invested in my success and I'm invested in you as a person and vice versa too. And I think when you develop those kinds of relationships, especially in something like entrepreneurship, which is so all encompassing, it's not just about your business and your paycheck. It really is so much of your life. It really is a pathway to like a more sustainable journey. Yeah. And shouts out to Erin Lowry too, because she was on episode 91 of the podcast and she was also one of the first people that I met in the space and also like very giving with her energy and time to me, just really giving me the real deal about stuff. So I want to talk about how it is really important to create 
these kind of connections and really how to foster them in a genuine way. And this is whether, you know, I have entrepreneurs who are listening, people who want to be entrepreneurs, side hustles, and people who have corporate jobs. And I think it remains the same that it's important to have a group of friends, girlfriends, or just people around you that you can really go and ask like the questions like behind the scenes, because mm. we've had multiple conversations. I've had conversations with Erin and other people in this space, like behind closed doors about, okay, this brand, I know that they're maybe talking to you too. Like, let's talk a little bit about like what I should expect or how much do you think like I should charge for going to this speaking gig? Like what's the going rate? Like some of that stuff, like I had no clue. And I remember one time Erin telling me something like about like what the average rate is or what she was Mm -hmm. just like commanding and what she thought or what we thought other people were kind of getting in the space. And I realized like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that that was possible, that you can get paid to do some of the things. Like I was just saying yes for free. And here I am talking to you guys and you're like, uh, no, like we get paid to do that. So that really, I think is important about having a network and so many people are like trying to get that now. Right. But you have to foster it in genuine ways where it's not just like a take attitude. So how do you approach building genuine relationships where you can have that kind of camaraderie with people in your life? I think people should try to build a network of people they really like. (laughs) Like one of the things that really bugs me is people who approach everything transactionally like they're like okay what can I do for you but it's like they're trying to ask you that because you can see that they want something in return and like I am very pro giving and doing things for other people I am trying I would love to make a connection for somebody and yeah like there are things I need in return but that's not the way I want to approach my relationships I want to approach my relationships by making a genuine connection with people and like having a friendship that that person's going to be in my life as a person I care about, you want to help your friends, right? So if you approach networking from the perspective of like, let me surround myself not only with people who are really accomplished in my industry, but also people I really enjoy and and am am going to be invested in, that's going to serve you so much more. That said, like, yeah, we can't all have like 200 close friends that we're super (laughs) invested in. I get it. But if you have a core group of people that you curate and build out from there and and like have a genuine interest in supporting other successes, that's not all about let me see like what I could do for you so that you can do something for me. Like that's just not interesting to me. Like I have no interest in engaging in that kind of thing and certainly not interested in people who are like, okay, well, let me ask you for a million things all the time because that's not interesting either. So (laughs) I I would just say like when I meet someone, I try to ask them a lot about themselves and I try to ask them a lot about things that have nothing to do with what they do professionally. So like I love talking about business, but I really want to know like where you're from, what do you like to do outside of your business? And what I find is you just get an opportunity to make connection points that might be really interesting. Like, for example, if you think about a conference, like a keynote speaker, like that person's going to get flooded with people afterwards. One of the things I've done is like by using this tactic of trying to get to know their interests and where they're from and their, their family life, things outside of their business is like, I'll connect with people around the fact that maybe they love Broadway and my husband works on Broadway and we connect over that. And like next time they're in the city, maybe like I can get them a backstage tour of the show my husband's working on. Like that's something that's going to be a lot more memorable than another person being like, hey, you know, will you sign my book? So I try to think of it that way. Yeah, that emotional kind of IQ and how to 
invest in the relationships are important because I've also experienced just because some of the people that when I first started that I was just listening to or watching on the sidelines, like now I actually know. And Mm -hmm. it feels like though, like these relationships, I didn't expect anything from them. Right. Like I also, yeah. um, I was very careful about how I approach people, understanding where I kind of was coming in, like as a newbie in the space. But really, I think it's important for people to know, because nowadays, like I'll kind of get people who be like, oh, can you like mentor me and like just come with like, a gazillion questions? And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not the way you do it, right? Like, no. like it takes time. Yeah. And I think to your point of like, it's really nice to be able to give to people. And if you can do that and not immediately ask for something in return, it's super valuable. And I think one of the things people struggle with is to identify what they have to give, especially if you're trying to network up. I would encourage everyone to try to like think a little bit more creatively. So like if I'm trying to connect with someone whose career is way more advanced than mine, I can think like, well, what do I have to give them? But there is value in connecting maybe two people you tangentially know who are both further along in their career than you, but you can create value just by connecting the two of them. So that's a really good example of like a way to create value, even if you're not at the same career level as the person you're trying to deliver value to. Another thing I did a lot was like, since I was a freelance writer, I would just quote a lot of the people that I wanted to meet in my stories. I met a lot of the people I'm, I'm friends with now, actually, who are way further along in their career by quoting them in some of my columns. And then that gave them media exposure. It gave them a link to their site. So you just got to think a little bit more creatively about what you do have to offer, which is something that I think we often overlook. Yeah. And even just honestly, like just support and like genuine support. It's weird. Like I can kind of tell like if someone is like genuinely like listening to my content, consuming it and like fully resharing it with like a comment and like quote and like. I sense that and I recognize things like that versus you know, maybe someone's just like, I'm just going to like, hopefully she'll just see this and then repost it or do something for me. So I think it's really interesting how these relationships unfold. And one of the things that I also like love about your story is that you built upon your skill set. So you're an actress, you have this background of being musical theater and surely that's helped you, right? And like the personnel, your personal finance business, because you do a lot of work on camera, you do speaking gigs. And so I think it's important to note for someone also maybe who is doing something that either is not maybe earning them a lot of money or maybe it's not even something they enjoy, that there's something from that experience or something they're building in a skill set that they can take and use in the next level. So can you talk about the importance of like building upon and layering skills the way you've been doing it to help you get to the next level? For sure. I think that's really huge. And it kind of comes back to this idea of what I was just saying is like, we tend to overlook the things that we have to offer because we either have them easily or they're natural to us or we've been doing them for so long, we don't recognize them as valuable. And I think this is really tough when you're thinking about pivoting to a new career. You're like, my skills are only really relevant to what I do. But surprisingly, speaking about personal finance has a lot of skills that I draw on from acting professionally, which is like public speaking, storytelling, human connection, because what I do isn't like a deep dive on financial planning. What I do is talk about things that we all kind of know, but I make them meaningful by delivering them in a way that's compelling, like you do on this podcast or like I might do on camera. And that's a skill set 
it's very different from like the ins and outs of financial matters. It's really about communication and connection and delivery and performance. And so what I think everybody really should spend time doing, and this is valuable, like no matter what career you're in or what you're trying to do, is really just take an inventory of your skills, your knowledge and your experience and try really hard not to like leave things off because you think they're too small. So like, One of my skills would be public speaking. Another one would be like making relationships. Some people don't even recognize that as a skill, but I'm really good at making relationships. Another might be talking to camera. Another might be storytelling. I always say like my husband's a carpenter and he he would never like recognize the fact that he can fix your broken table as a skill because it's just like something he does like he doesn't think of it as a skill because it's just like well it's broken I have to fix it but that skill has value to other people and people will pay someone to fix their table for them because they can't do it themselves and I think it's harder if you're talking about something like what I'm saying which is like public speaking communication these are softer skills but the fact is banks aren't good at communicating they're not good at storytelling so they are willing to pay people a lot of money to take their messaging and use those skills to do what they need to do, connect with their consumers. So I think like if everybody takes the time to sit down and really make a list of skills and their knowledge and the experiences they've had, it becomes a little bit clearer to see which of those things are something that other people would be willing to pay for or could be parlayed into another industry, even if the industry has nothing to do with what you're currently doing. Yeah, yeah, I love all that. Now, I do want to talk about entrepreneurship because that's obviously at the forefront of my mind now as an entrepreneur. And you've been doing this now for how long have you been fully focused on this? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't even know. It's 2020, right? So it's yeah. been like eight years. Eight. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That you had. Been, so we, sh- we should go back. So you had the what was the name of your, your blog when you first started? Oh, my gosh. My blog was called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Uh-huh. And to be fair, like in 2013, that's like when I started freelance writing. So I was still making money through every possible way. So I was writing like $20 blog posts and even if I was writing like 30 blog posts a month, that did not pay the bills enough. So that was like still a side hustle income stream. And then I was like personal assisting. I was working in a restaurant. I was still acting. So like I did all of the gig stuff for like two more years, like 2013, 2014. And then freelance writing really became all of my income around 2014, 2015. At that point, like I was able to get like $200 instead of $20 for the things I wrote. So it was a little bit more sustainable. But even then it was like hustle all the time. And I'm not going to pretend like I don't hustle now. I do, but it's different. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, And then it was like around that time that I was like seeing people making money through things like media tours or speaking events. And I was like, you know what, that that seems to be more in alignment with my skill set, more in alignment with my interests. And then what I didn't realize is it's much more lucrative uh, (laughs) than writing. So like, I remember one of the first times I did a speaking event, I, I was hosting an event. At that point, the most I think I had ever gotten for writing something was $500. And that event, I made $5,000. And it was one day. And so that just totally changed my framework for what was possible, kind of what we were talking about before, like, as you take the step, 
what's possible becomes clearer, but you don't really know that when you're starting. So once I realized that was possible, then I was like, okay, how do I really pivot my business more fully into the $5,000 payday instead of the $500 payday? Yes, yes. And let's talk about how that's been since you've now found this like realm, right? You found this other door, like you're like, wait, you know, I can Mm -hmm. like make a lot of money doing things like this. How has that experience been, right? Because one of the things that when you have gigs like that, right, they're not consistent. What has that been like for you in terms of making entrepreneurship for you something that can pay the bills and Mm -hmm. really give you a life that you want to live? I am not going to lie and say that it's easy or glamorous or anything. It is extremely challenging, but it's challenging in a very different way from when I was like hustling, writing my $20 blog posts and like having 10 other jobs. Like that was challenging in a very stressful, financially like precarious way. This is a little bit less stressful because like, yeah, when you get paid $5,000 in a day, that's great. But you might not see that check for months and you might not have any other gig lined up for months. And so that creates its own financial stress because you're dealing with bigger numbers, but they're so unpredictable and you have so little control over when somebody chooses to hire you or when they actually send you your check. And like, yeah, I can hear everybody like thinking, well, you should negotiate 50% payment up front. But the fact is like, when you're dealing with a Fortune 500 company and they're like, no, we don't do that, then you're not going to turn down the gig. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. And I am in a place where I feel like I've been very lucky and I've been able to support myself and reinvest in my business and grow a lot. But I don't have an answer for like, how do I make this sustainable long term? Because the fact is, while it works today, I don't have a plan for how it's going to work next year. And I feel like until I do, that's going to be a lot of stress of like this constant up and down roller coaster of one day making $10,000 or $20,000 and then maybe not having anything in three months. And the fact is like, if I want to continue to reinvest in my business and hire people that I pay every month, then I need to have income coming in every month. I'm still trying to find what that balance is. Like I've taken up some of those those writing clients again, because I know that they'll pay on time. So if I can have like three writing clients a month, at least I have some base to pay my people and continue running my business. But it's definitely not like I have all the answers. I'm still even eight years in very, very much a work in progress. Yeah. And I love that you're sharing that because that's another thing people like say, oh, well, $5,000 gig, like that's amazing. But realizing that it could be depending on the contract, a 60 day or more payout, Sometimes Correct. they don't pay or they <laughs> pay later than that. Or yeah. in, let's talk about you not really actually getting 5,000. Like, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> there's like <laughs> other fees. Close. You get yeah. maybe like 20 or 30% of that. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously I have to pay my taxes. I have to pay my agent who gets 20% of what I make. And then just the cost of doing business. It's really wild. I think last year... My business expenses were like $90,000. You shared something like this too. You were like, I try to share it too because it's like, yeah, my business may have made six figures, but like I'm not seeing all that. Like I'm seeing less than half of it. At the end of the day, I really didn't make very much money last year. And it's crazy because in 2018, my business made $300,000. So for me to spend 
over $100,000 on my business wasn't a big deal. But like to my point about being a roller coaster ride, like I had a $50,000 contract in two days in 2018. Like that made such a difference. So so me seeing my revenue drop by half doesn't mean like my business is doing so much more poorly. That could be the difference of two contracts. It's that kind of volatility that brings so much excitement and opportunity, but can also bring so much insecurity and like really just not knowing how much can I really afford to reinvest in my business or put towards growth or new projects. And like to your point about like entrepreneurship, part of the reason I'm not seeing a lot of that money is like I'm constantly launching new things. Like I ran an event last year. I ran I launched a new product last year. And I know you have been through the process of course creation like this stuff is very expensive to create oh, yes. new stuff, to hire designers. I'm filing for trademark, like legal fees, like my accountant. It's just astronomical in terms yeah. of the expense. Yeah. So I do want to take it to how you manage like on an inconsistent income. So like personally, like your personal expenses yeah. and then yeah. the business, we could talk about reinvesting because I think that's super important. And we're going to get to the amazing things you've been working on and launching statement event and statement cards in a bit. But can you talk about how you budget on an inconsistent income because so many listeners also have inconsistent incomes. Yeah. And so that'd be helpful. Yeah. I got married last year. So it's kind of changed a little bit about of how I manage my money. It's it's wonderful to live in, in a two income household. But my husband and I are like very 50 50 in how we approach everything. So we have a commitment to each other that we put $2,000 a month into our joint checking account every month. And then from there, I also have like my own checking and my own savings. And that's where like I pay my credit card for all my personal expenses. And then obviously my business expenses are totally separate. So the way I have it set up is that my business pays me a salary. I think uh, right now my business salary is set for $50,000, but that is before taxes. (laughs) And it's also changeable. So like, if I have a flush month, like I can pay myself a bonus. If I have a bad month, I might skip payroll for three weeks. So (laughs) basically the way I deal with it is I have a commitment to my husband that I have to put my money in that account each month. And I have a commitment to myself that I have to pay off all of my bills each month. So I know that like at a minimum, I have to commit to having three to $4,000 a month in liquid cash minimum. Mm -hmm. Now, wait, and, so sorry, is this after expenses for your business or this is like what you're- Yeah, this is for okay. my personal life, okay. just my personal life, no business, anything. But my commitment is to my personal life. So what I do is in really, if I get like, let's say that $50,000 contract, what I'll try to do is when I get that money and I set aside my taxes and I set aside my payroll, then I'll also take out- an extra distribution from my business to myself that goes into my savings account because I know I'm going to need a runway. Like no matter how much I got paid, if I can get like an extra three month runway and I'm saying independently of my emergency fund, this is like runway in my checking account money because what I know is that like if I need $4,000 a month for my personal life at a minimum, then I probably need to have at least $10,000 in my checking account at any given time because that gives me the flexibility of like, well, you're not going to be able to pay yourself for the next three months. Okay, well, at least there's $10,000 in my checking account. So like, even though that's not always the case, if I can try to always shoot for that benchmark, especially if I've had a flush month, 
it makes me feel a lot more secure in terms of managing my personal finances, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense because I now think about how I manage, right? It's so funny because last year I didn't really, I was so kind of afraid, like even if I made, so I did make like a profit last year, small profit, but I made a profit, but I didn't pay myself. I didn't know even if I got something that came in or like I did a launch and I made money, I was like, well, I don't know, there's going to be like probably things I have to reinvest in and things that come up. So I was so afraid to like actually pay myself like the money that is still sitting kind of in like my owner's like compensation Mm -hmm. account. But that's another thing, right? So you're handling your personal expenses and now you have a business, right? And so you can either take more money from your business profit, like to pay yourself or reinvest back in the business. Yeah. So let's talk about that decision making process. Because for me, I am very much interested and more focused on reinvesting back to get yeah. you know, buy my time back. So we'll hiring contractors that help me with the podcast and just helping me launch things. So how are you looking at reinvesting? Because you're launching also like you've launched a couple of things recently that cost a lot of money. Indeed. <laughs> so what I find easier to plan for are one off projects. So like when I did my website redesign, I committed to doing that after getting a contract that was worth tens of thousands of dollars. So what what I try to do is build like big single reinvestments, let's say a pro, like a, a developing a new product or launching a new website, something that's going to be expensive when I have secured a contract that's worth a lot of money because it's like a lump sum and then it's going to be a lump sum. And that's that's actually easy for me to plan for because it's just a little bit more like, well, if this much is coming in, then I can have that much going out. What's harder for me to plan for, and I don't have a good answer to, is what you're talking about contractors. For me to hire an assistant, like that's a commitment I'm making to pay that person every month. That's a level of consistency of output where I don't know that I have a level of consistency of input. I have really struggled here because like for the last couple of years, I've had various people that I pay on a monthly basis. I have an accountant I pay on a monthly basis. I have had an assistant. I have had some writers. I have had designers, some people who were really supporting me. But in January 2020, I put everybody I had in retainer on hourly because I was like, I have to pay myself. I have spent so much money reinvesting in my business. And I think last year in particular, because I wasn't able to even pay myself my full owner salary. And I'm like, it's year eight of my running my business. Like I have to be able to sustain something. And so I said, I'm going to put everybody on hourly temporarily. And I hope that I will find a little bit more of a sustainable system going forward. And for me, that's a middle ground by of saying like, you know what, I know I need to reinvest in my business for it to grow. But I also know that like I have a commitment to my own financial goals that I need to be better about. So for this year right now, that's my focus. But in another year, that might change again. I think like what I've really learned is so much of this isn't necessarily about having answers, but it's about being willing to experiment and letting yourself operate maybe in a gray zone where it's just kind of where I'm at, which is like, I know I need help. I wish I could hire more consistent and better help. But like, I've been putting the vast majority of what I earned back into my business for three years. And my own savings have suffered as a result. And like, my own mental health maybe has even suffered as a result. And so, you know, I took all the money I usually spend on paying people, which I'm really proud to do. But like, 
I can't do all the time. I took all that money I spent uh, typically on contractors. Like I went to Australia for a month and it was still cheaper than what I usually pay to run my business. And that was interesting. Even thinking about that, I, I've been kind of wanting to write about this is like, well, maybe that is a business reinvestment for me to like step away when you are your business, when you run the business for you to step away from it and have a moment to like rejuvenate and reconnect with yourself. Like maybe that's it too. So like, all of this is really just a convoluted way of saying like, I'm still figuring it out. And I think it's important to let yourself always be in that space of learning and exploring and trying new things. Because I think that's what successful and sustainable entrepreneurship is, is continuing to ask yourself those questions. Yeah. And it's, we're talking about like trying to find a balance here between like your personal goals and your business goals. And I love that you talked about possibly you taking that month break. Not yeah. possibly. I know because I'm experiencing it now by committed to going to the gym more. So like I go to the mm -hmm. gym in the mornings and that means actually less time to sit and work on Journey to Launch. But yeah. I know for a fact it's fueling and helping me with my mindset and how I feel and my productivity. And it does relate back to the business. And that costs money to join the gym. It costs time, but it's so worth the investment in myself. So I totally think that, yes, you have to find a balance. But I think that maybe sometimes saying balance is a word that's unachievable. But just like when yeah. people say, can you like as a mom, is there a balance? It's like, no, nah, some, not really. <laughs> sometimes, like sometimes I'm failing at something, you know, and yeah, same thing with like business and personal finance. And, you know, at some point, maybe things will get into equilibrium or whatever. But I love that you're saying that sometimes there's no answers. It's just being okay in the gray area and but yeah. choosing to keep going. Absolutely. I totally agree. And the balance word is, I'm with you. Not a good word. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a bit about some of the things that you have recently launched that I know cost money and a lot of yeah, investment. Yeah. So the statement event and the statement mm -hmm. cards. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Talk about money, the things that cost money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, I was chatting with one of my best business friends. And we were at a conference that we all go to and thinking, you know, it would be great to have a space that was maybe like a little bit more intimate, um, where we could talk about a lot of these things and specifically as they pertain to women, because so much of the conversation around personal finance, um, specifically at personal finance events, gets actually really caught up in things like affiliate marketing. <laughs> Um, and just like other things that like, I really don't have any interest in. And so my friend and I were like, like, let's create an event that maybe speaks to some of the things we're more interested in some of the things we really care about specifically around and women and money and wealth and, and power and equity and like all of these things. And maybe something that can really serve not just us, but all of the people in our community a little bit more appropriately for where they're at in their businesses. And so we created Statement Event, which is really about um, having a community and having a space for women who work in financial media to kind of come together and work through their own business challenges, but then also think more collectively about how we're speaking about money, the way we address money. I think even in the last few years, there, a lot of the dialogue has really shifted in a powerful way. And I think in a large part to like voices like yours and other women in the community who are saying like, 
okay, like it's not just about five tips to improve your credit. Like, yeah, that matters. But what really matters is what is going to be the point of connection that makes someone really care about their credit before they need their credit. Let's tell those stories and let's see how this really plays out in people's lives. And let's talk about the unique challenges for women in other communities who may have not had access to credit before. And like by by kind of having a space to talk about this with other people, I think it's really great because we see it happening now more and more in the dialogue at large. And so we want to really support women on that journey, both as storytellers, as women talking about money and as business owners. So Statement Event was really created to create that space for women to come together and also to network and build their own businesses. I love it. And I know that throwing an event like a conference like that has been just like another rum, right? Like, you know, you, you say you take steps and you kind of see what comes before you, but this step that you've taken, right? Like, can you talk about like the stretch it's also like caused you to incur like in terms of skill sets? Because now that I'm also like trying to plan mm. my live podcast in New York yeah. City, it's crazy. Just like the other layer now of skill sets that it takes yeah. to run like a conference or just a live event. Right. It's like wedding planning meets public speaking meets sales. I mean, it's all the logistics, right? But it's also like if you're going to have a sponsor to pay for this stuff, you really have to get into full PR marketing mode and be like, okay, what's the value add? Like, how am I going to serve the people attending this? But then how am I also going to serve the people who are basically going to support the viability of this event? And then also I'm thinking about the programming. That is really the focus for us at State. But like, we don't have the prettiest, most Instagrammable event, but I think we have some of the best content that in the business. Um, I'm, I'm really just going to take ownership of that because <laughs> we spend a whole year thinking about what we want to talk about and who we need to get in the room to make that happen. So that's really another huge skill set that I think often gets overlooked in conference planning. Yeah. Um, it's just like identifying who you need in the room. And then also we reach out to some pretty high profile people. So like convincing people that they should come to your event, even when you have like very little budget is really a huge skill set. So like yeah. there's just so many pieces and I know, you know, cause you're working through it. And it's funny because I was telling a story recently to somebody about like, I put a year of my life into like this very high level thinking about the content and the messaging and the people. And then like the day of the event last year, like really all I was doing was like going around picking up cups and trash. <laughs> it was like so that everyone else can be focused on the content and the speakers and the messaging, right? Because like at yeah. the end of the day, like when it comes down to it, my job as the event planner is just like is really just logistics and and garbage on the day of, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's not glamorous, but like it's really a full body, soul, everything operation to plan an event. It is. And then um I'm thinking too, like the money up front, right? So like we talk about yes. like sponsors trying to like get sponsors, but before sometimes sponsors, if they if you get a sponsor, <laughs> sometimes they don't come through like when you first start needing to pay for things. And so yeah. you have to have that faith. Like so I've come to like I've already decided. So Raina Campbell from Dreams and Drive podcast, she's helping me plan the event. And so like we had a budget for it. And it was like the kind of like the ultimate budget. Like if we can do it kind of the way we want to, here's what it looks yeah. like. And I was like, you know what, I just for just for worst case scenario purposes, so I know how much I'll just have to front if we get no sponsors. 
let's do like a more simplified budget without maybe all the bells and whistles that I'd like to have, but like still like a, you know, focusing on the programming, right. And the quality of the event and me recognizing like, you know what, you may have to just upfront put up money for this. Yeah. <laughs> and that, well, and, and if you don't get it back, like that's okay. You have to believe kind of in what you're doing, just like starting a business and investing in it, yes. that it works, taking that risk or that leap. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's really smart that you like have your like dream budget scenario and then like your bare bones budget scenario. I think the other thing that I've done with my my business partner Emma to kind of mitigate some of the risk is when we sell a ticket, we promise a great content event, but we don't necessarily promise any meals, any drinks, any anything. Now that said, we have provided all of those things over the course of our events because like event we've been lucky enough that like eventually we do get the sponsor money that can support those things. But we don't commit to having those expenses until the money comes in. And that's really been helpful for us because like for example this year like we're going to try to get a step and repeat with like the logo and and some fun like decor, but like we don't commit to any of that until there is actually a budget for it. What we really focus on is like, what do we actually need to have a good event? And so like the first thing we spent money on was our two keynote speakers, because we knew that that was the substance. That was the framework from which we could build. And that's the money we were willing to lose. And then we had space. So you need space, right. <laughs> space and speakers. And then like everything else winds up being extra. Like, okay, so now we have a budget. We can do a happy hour. Now we have a budget. We can provide breakfast and lunch. Now we have a budget. We can hire four more speakers. So that's kind of building out from there. Kind of like, as you go, I think is another way that I've been able to mitigate some of the cost and some of the risk. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to be taking some of that those tips. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the other cool and I mean, like really cool concept that you've now turned into a reality are statement cards. So talk a little bit about like what your vision is for that, because I actually love the way that you've created an event and now you created like a physical product. So talk about that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, because like, from your experience and my experience, it's like we are so connected to the content we create. And when you're a content creator, it's like, well, what's your business? I'm like, well, it's kind of me. Like, it's, it's kind of like the what I write in my articles, my Instagram posts. It's not like, oh, I own a luggage company or I own this. And what I found is that by launching an event and then by launching a physical product, I can now say like, oh, well, like I'm the founder of this event and I'm the founder of this product line. And yes, I also like create a lot of content online and and I wrote written a book and all that other stuff. But it's just something that can really exist without me, even though I'm a big part of it. Like at the end of the day, if I create a line of products and I decide not to do this anymore, my products can, I could sell that line of products. Like I could, that business can somehow exist and grow without me. So that was one of my big focuses last year and why I paid myself so little because I was launching all of these things. And what I launched was this line of greeting cards really dedicated to celebrating ambitions beyond marriage and motherhood. So the inspiration was originally around finance. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you like could give somebody a card when they bought a house or could give someone a card when they paid off their student loans or could give somebody a card when they got a raise. Like those are major milestones, life events. And like, there's really no good way of celebrating it. And then at the same time I was thinking this, I was getting married and I had like all of these people congratulating me all the time and like 
giving me all these cards and wonderful blessings. And I was like, oh, this is so wonderful. But it's like, I'm 33. I feel like I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm proud of. And like, now people are just congratulating me and like sending me stuff for what? <laughs> I, I mean, not, not that getting married, it isn't a big deal. It is a big deal. But I was just like, you know, I've written a book, like I ran a marathon, like, I feel like I've done so much stuff. I felt like that's when I really needed support. And wouldn't it be great to have a framework of support outside of the things that we already have a framework of support for? Like, yes, we should definitely celebrate weddings. We should definitely celebrate, you know, our moms. But like, I think it's about thinking, especially for women, like recognizing ambitions that extend beyond that and like acknowledging those things and celebrating those things can really open up a greater dialogue around it. So like if I can celebrate you paying off your student loan, maybe that is going to encourage our other friend to maybe start thinking about their student loan. And then maybe it's something that we can all talk about how you got there. And I think that there's just a lot of power in recognizing those things and celebrating those things. So I created this little card company called Saving Cards that gives people a small way of starting to acknowledge those ambitions. And I'm really excited about it because as you can probably tell by my long-winded explanation is like, yeah, it's just a card company. But to me, it's about a broader message and a broader mission that I think could be something much bigger. I think it could be its own media platform. It could be its own mission-driven product line beyond cards. I think it could be its own event series. So it was exciting to me to stumble upon an idea that really kind of lit a fire under me and spoke to a broader message, but that I could start experimenting with in a small, not too risky way. Yeah, I just want to commend you for going after it, especially like with the stability and income and like having to make these investments like are scary, right? And how many of us have like these ideas? And then like, we're like, all right, let's just, I'll just do it. You know, I have no clue, like really how it's going to turn out, but this would possibly be like major and not just like major in terms of like money, but just like major impact. And so I just think it's pretty cool that you are really like doing it, even though it's scary (laughs) and it's like a lot of work and all that. So I do want people to check out all your stuff. So first, tell people about the statement event, because um, by the time this episode airs, it'll be in a few weeks. So I want people, if yeah. they're in the financial space, like who should attend and when is it? And tell them all about it. All right. Yes. So statement event is happening May 1st and 2nd in New York City. Uh, we have people coming in from all over the country. And this is really for women in financial media. So if you blog about money, if you create any kind of content about money, if you have like a money coaching business or in any way, like have money as like an interest around something in your career. It's definitely about like being in the room where it happens. We have speak uh, speakers coming in. Like uh, we, we just confirmed like the deputy editor from The Atlantic. We have Ashley C. Ford, who's a great feminist writer. We have a Gabby Dunn, who has the Bad With Money podcast. So we have a really great intersection of people. We have uh, Anna Gifty, who's an economist from Harvard. And it's just great to hear all those different perspectives in one space. So if you're around, check out statementevent.co. And that's where you can see like the full lineup and the speakers and the attendees and grab tickets. So that's the first thing. <laughs> what else do <laughs> yeah. I have to talk okay, about? Okay, statement cards? cards. Yeah, let's yes. talk about the cards. Where yeah, can so find the, that? yeah, the cards are at statementcards.com. And we're also on Instagram at statementcards. Even if you don't buy a card, would love to see people like engaging in the conversation around like 
expanding how we celebrate women and, and recognizing financial wins and ambitions. I think it's a really important conversation. So you can find us at Statement Cards. Awesome. And then where, where can people follow like your journey and all your amazing finance advice and yeah. content? There's so many things. <laughs> so um, I'm Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. You can find me at stephanieoconnellrodriguez.com, but I know that's a lot. So you can also find me at stephanieoconnell.com. And I'm also on social everywhere, just at Stephanie O'Connell. So Instagram is where I spend the most time. So I'd love to see everybody there. Yeah. And I will, don't worry. I know like that was a lot of links, but I will link all of them in the thank episode you. show notes. So thank, thank you so you. much, Stephanie. It's such a on. pleasure. <laughs> I always love chatting with you online and off. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right, journeyers. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And literally, even if you're not an entrepreneur or side hustler, I think you could really get a lot from this conversation because the skill sets and leveraging the skill sets that you're building in your own personal journey can help you earn more money no matter what you're doing. And then I hope that you also are just getting insight to really how it is if you are potentially looking to become an entrepreneur or you are an entrepreneur, really just like giving yourself a break on the trials and tribulations of what it's really like, because literally we're all going through it. It's a journey. Now, if you want any of the links that Stephanie mentioned or to get, connect more with Stephanie, go to the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 148. There you get all the links to the things that we mentioned. And then if you're on social media, don't forget to follow me. I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, I appreciate it. If you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your iPhone, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I read every review. And then even if you're not listening to this in Apple Podcasts, totally fine. Just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. As promised, I wanted to share some tips from today's sponsor, Empower, on how to get financial relief from the coronavirus outbreak. They wrote a really great blog, which I'll link to in the episode show notes on how to get financial relief. And some of their tips are one, call your lenders and ask to reschedule payments. I really, really like this one. I've actually had some journeyers actually do this and get payments stopped. So here's what it is. Many lenders are being flexible given the financial hardships of borrowers right now. So your credit card companies and your car and home companies, they are either postponing or reducing interest and principal payments. So you need to call them and see if they can work with you to reduce or stop these payments for the time being. That way you can redirect the cash you would have sent to those payments to more essential purchases or to beef up your emergency fund. The second thing you can look into doing is cutting your expenses. So you may be currently in a shelter in place order or social distancing, and maybe you've seen some of your expenses go down if you're going out less, but now is a really good time to evaluate the cash inflows and outflows of your household and commit to cutting back on the categories that are just really nice to have. So really start looking at your budget, get a budget if you don't have one, be a little bit more disciplined now that you may need more savings on hand. Actually, the Empower app has a really good spend tracking feature to help you do that. So if you do want to try out Empower, download Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R in the App Store or Play Store. You can also get $5 when you use the code journey and reach your savings goals. Visit empower.me slash journey for more details. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. 
All right. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.